Hi there, and welcome to the Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. So here we are, uh, recapping the Cardinals series, which just ended. Mere uh, moments ago. Yes, we are nothing if not quick and responsive. Yes. And you know so, what? Speed's part of the game. It's true. Speed kills. Uh, yep. Uh, so... It was a three-game series. Lots of stuff happened. It was a very eventful series. Obviously, the most important thing being Andrew Stevenson hitting a pinch-hit home run. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But uh, the end of the day, there's a lot to talk about, but the Nats got their first series win of the year, taking two of three. And it was the first series that they had their healthy lineup back. I mean, their non-COVID-stricken right. lineup. Right, and you, you might say that those two things are connected. I would, I would say so. So they scored 14 runs across three games. They scored five, three, and six. Um, and the offense just looked a lot better. I mean, that first game, you had Schwarber with two big hits. You had Josh Bell get on base. Josh Harrison's looked great all three games yep. he's played. I mean, that's, that's a huge difference maker right there. Zim with the home run today. I know he wasn't COVID-stricken, but, you know, it's great to see Zim doing things. I mean, the offense looks good. I mean, there's a lot of – I mean – uh, who knows how long we can get this Josh Harrison production? Uh, the Nats must have been really well, high on him. I mean, he's hitting five fifty six right now, so yeah, probably I mean, he's not going to hit five fifty six. Hey, seat. you never know. Yeah, it's it's important. He's a guy that, because of the way this team is constructed, has become a lot more important than we thought he would at the beginning of uh, spring training. And if he can hit, if he can be a above average offensive bat and provide solid defense. I mean, I don't know that you were expecting more than that out of Carter Keeboom. So that's, you know, mm-hmm. if he can be the Josh Harrison of the, the all-star years, which, you know, frankly, he did look like in a very small sample size last year, that's a big deal. But we're not going to make big sweeping statements about how good Josh Harrison is based on 11 at-bats. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I mean, the offense looked a lot better this series. I mean, and that's, I mean, we didn't have no, a zero run game, which is a step up. Um, yeah. I mean, we were facing good starting. I mean, we faced uh, Flaherty last night, faced uh, John Gant and Adam Wainwright. I mean, which, I mean, varying degrees of success, you know, of, of goodness between those two. I mean, Gant is the fifth starter who only made it due to injury, and Wainwright is Adam Wainwright in his 16th and 15th year in the league. I mean, but Wainwright still still looks good. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was he had a quality outing today. Uh, obviously, the stats don't really re- re- uh, reflect, reflect that, that, but his, his stuff is as good as it ever has been. Well, maybe not as good as it ever has been, but as good as it's been yeah. in the last three years when he's been successful. Uh, Flaherty had command issues yesterday. The Nats, I mean, so... The offense is obviously you expected when Schwarber, Bell, and Harrison came back, you expected the offense to be the story of this series. But I wouldn't say that it was. I think the big story of this series, both good and bad, is Mm -hmm. the starting pitching. Yep. Uh, And we'll start with the good because good is more fun than bad. Uh, Brief note of good, uh, Eric Fetty. Yep. Through four and two-thirds innings, gave up one run, kept the team that really needed a win competitive, uh, and they eventually scored uh, a couple more runs, and it, it was a tie game at that point. 
and they got that win because Fetty was able to keep them in the ball game. Uh, four and two-thirds innings, one run. If he can go five and give you three runs, obviously that's a six ERA. That's not great. But what you really need from Eric Fetty, or 5-4 ERA, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the point is, what you need from Eric Fetty, if he's going to be your five starter until Lester gets back, uh, Lester's throwing a sim game tomorrow. Yeah, he's I, probably, probably one more time for the rotation, I, I assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you need him to keep you in the game, and he did that. And that was, you know, I, I'm still not high on Eric Fetty. Uh, given the body of work. He also struck out the side uh, in the second inning, which was something he'd never done before. Struck out three batters in a row with none of them being the pitcher. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the, the big positive story other than Fetty was, and it's a huge positive, was Joe Ross today. Yeah. Uh, Ross went six innings on 89 pitches, gave up three hits, uh, struck out four five, four hits, four. that's right, the Arenado double at the end, uh, struck out five, walked only one, uh, and he was just, he was hitting his spots with everything he was throwing, he was around the zone, his fastball uh, was not only, you know, 93, touching 96 at times, but it had late life. It was a really effective pitch. He followed it up with his slider. You know, his first start, he threw a lot of change-ups. He sort of abandoned it today. But this is Joe Ross. This is the Joe Ross that, if you remember, 2016, in the latter half of 2015, this is the guy he was. He was a two-pitch starting pitcher who was very effective, who was great at getting ground balls, who was around the zone, uh, and, you know, through two starts, 11 innings, he has looked looked terrific. Yeah, no runs in two innings, in two starts so far in 11 innings. I mean, that's that's very good. I mean, yeah, I'm really impressed with Joe Ross. I, I mean, it's a, the, one of the best signs of the Nats so far in this season is Joe Ross's, you know, appearance so far. Uh, I mean, if, if Ross is able to, to be, a, you know, the quality fifth starter – and not only it takes a little bit off of your top end of the rotation, but it also deepens the rotation as well. And I mean, it's an obvious statement. Obviously, he deepens your rotation. But for a team that's a thin in the rotation after the five starter, if you have that confidence in your in your fifth starter to be that guy who can you know still give you very quality starts, you know, not maybe not even more than just quality, good starts. I mean, that that takes a lot of the load off of Schol- off Scherzer's and Strasburg's and Corbin's shoulders. Yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, it, with a with a starting pitching staff that is very old, uh, that has guys that are 37 and 36, and then Strasburg, who's 32, uh, having a guy like Ross... Who's 27. If, who's 20... I mean, it, it feels like he's been around forever, and also sort of not around forever, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like he's been in the picture, but, you know, hurt, you know, he... he the injury problems for Ross started, uh, and his stuff started deteriorating in June 2016. That was almost five years ago now. And then obviously, you know, he missed a couple months in 2016, wasn't as effective after that. Pitched in 2017, was not very effective. Stuff was down 
significantly. Had Tommy John in the middle of 2017. Came back in 2018, the end of 2018. Uh, you know, and then in 2019, didn't really find his groove until the middle of the season uh, when he finally got back to starting. You know, there were times in 2015-16 when Ross looked like the three-starter of the future. Uh, and if he can get back to that form, and he's, you know, he's looked great so far, it would be a huge boon for this team. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially since, uh, you know, the, the next thing we have to talk about is Steven Strasburg on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, that might have been his worst start of his career. Well, he's had a lot of weird meltdowny starts. Uh, as they, they mentioned, I don't know who they is, as was mentioned, uh, he gave up eight runs, seven earned in four plus innings. The second time in his career, he's given up eight earned runs. The first time was a start in Colorado in 2016 that he left because of injury. And then he only made one start the rest of the year and then missed all that time with the end, including the playoffs with the uh, flexor tendon strain. Yeah. So, when but he I mean, has starts like this, it's not a good sign, right? But from the way that they're talking about it post game, and everything around it, I mean the fact that, I mean it doesn't. I mean he looked uncomfortable, but he always looks uncomfortable. But he looked even more uncomfortable than he normally does. He sometimes doesn't look uncomfortable. I mean when he's really in command, he looks like he's like. So the the thing that the Nats have been saying about Strasburg for the last day and a half now as that his mechanics were not in alignment so his fastball averaged 91 miles an hour which even for the diminished velocity that we saw in 2019 is extremely troubling like he was starting off innings with 88 mile an hour fastballs Strasburg's explanation for this that I don't buy is that he had more left in the tank but he couldn't command it because his his mechanics were not in alignment. I would buy that more if it tracked with any other start that Steven Strasburg had made in his career. Uh, now, to be fair to Steven Strasburg, that thing, that exact thing that he's talking about, did happen in his last spring training start of this year. Uh, he didn't find his fastball until he didn't find his mechanics until the fifth inning. And he didn't find his fastball velocity in the sixth inning. And his fastball velocity did jump three miles an hour. Uh, so maybe he's just having more trouble finding his mechanics than usual because of the weird spring training and then the, the layoff. Uh, the cameras caught him pinching his right shoulder uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nats came up with some ridiculousness around it. I said... You know, first of all, we didn't see it, and second of all, you shouldn't have seen it. They went on this whole rant about how cameras shouldn't be there. Uh, it was it, it struck me as sort of oblivious of Davy, or you know, feigned obliviousness, covering up something else. Mm-hmm. But then the way that the Nats threw Strasburg yesterday, where they had him come out for the fourth, and then had him come out for the fifth, and let him hit for himself. Like, if there was something that they thought was seriously wrong with Strasburg, they wouldn't have done that. Now, does that mean that they yeah. could be wrong, that Strasburg maybe isn't being fully forthright, or that... Well, I wouldn't say that... 
Strasburg knows his body, and if he was hurt, he would not pitch. Uh, I think we can say that with yeah. some confidence now. But, uh, you know, obviously when a pitcher, his mechanics were shot the entire game, and when a guy like that loses two miles an hour off his fastball from start to start, you get confused and you get concerned. But the Nats don't seem to be. Uh, mm. He's still he threw his, uh, you know, he plays catch the game the day after he throws or after he pitches. He did that today. The Nats have already slotted him in to start on Sunday. So yeah. I mean, there's not. I don't think in. I mean, yet injuries a cause for concern with Strasburg. I mean, there might be an injury, but it clearly seems like he's going to try to. If there is one, he's going to try to pitch through it, which doesn't seem like Strasburg's M.O. So I don't know. I, it's hard to tell what's up with Strasburg. I mean, he looked so good his first start. Right. And then to, to just lose four miles in your fastball from start to start is just a little, a little jarring without an injury. But it doesn't appear like they're treating it like an injury. I, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's side effects of the vaccine. I mean, they got the vaccines on Monday. That's the only thing that really jumps out to me. Maybe he slept on his... I, I mean, I know the exact same spot that he was massaging. I've had that injury before from sleeping or even just coughing. And that's a, it's a bitch to deal with. So I don't even know. But I, I, I'm not... You know, he made such a great start his first time against a better lineup. And then he was just... His stuff just wasn't there the second time. So I, I don't know where, to, where we should draw the line with Strasburg yet. Um... We'll have to see with his next start how he looks. I mean, the Diamondbacks are notoriously bad. I mean, lately in the last year, the last time he faced them, just they 2019. Him. 2019. Because uh, he was tipping his him. pitches. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that, with the Diamondbacks. I'm, uh, I'm less worried about the results and more worried about how he looks. Exactly. Uh, so, but, yeah, I, I mean, it's a wait and see thing. You, you got to, you know, you've got two samples now. One where he looked great and one where he looked terrible. Uh, you you approach Steven Strasburg with a you know baseline level of concern always because of his injury history, because of you know like Johnny said how he just generally looks like he's hurt all the time. Uh, he's not a comfortable pitcher to watch if you're invested. That doesn't mean he's not fun when he's on. But he's not a comfortable pitcher to watch. Uh, And, you know, I'd say last start obviously raises your baseline level of concern going into the next one. But maybe he'll come out and he'll throw 93 to 95. Fastball look good. Change up. Curveball will be there. You know, this is the Steven Strasburg experience. It's, It's watching from start to start. You know, we've all become sort of experts on the movements and the body language of Steven Strasburg over the last 11 years. So we're, I mean, got six more years of this. You got to watch Strasburg every time out to make sure he's okay. But uh, I look forward to doing that on Sunday. Yeah. Um, So I guess we talk a little bit about, you know, one thing that I haven't been too fond of so far at the start of the season is uh, Tanner Rainey. I know we talked about him on probably the last podcast. He sat like 93 to 95 today. His, it's just, I mean, he had a good slider. But I, I think Rainey's one of those guys who we bet on to be good for us, you know, 
And if he's not that guy, we have other options. I mean, Hudson's looked good in his appearances this year. Um, right. Handles hand, looked, you know, he had obviously. A, he, he hand had his good. He had a rough appearance on on Sunday on uh, Monday, but you he know, didn't have a looked, rough appearance. He got he squeezed. The hit. He looked. Yeah. He looked very good. Like there was yeah. nothing concerning about that appearance. So I mean, with those two guys, you. If those two guys are the guys for you, and Suero's looked pretty good so far in, in his appearances, if you have those three guys and Will Harris whenever he comes back, Rainey becomes a lot less of an important piece for you. But, you know, Hudson, I'm still not sold on Hudson. And Brad Hand, his velocity's back, which is a great sign for the Nats. Yeah, uh, I'm, not con- I'm not particularly concerned about Hand. Hudson is yeah. Hudson. Is, is, you know, he is who he is. Yeah. Basketball's very straight. His slider is, is what it is. Uh, but... Obviously, you would like to get Tanner Rainey right, and you know he actually looked better today, uh, command-wise. Uh, and you know, at ninety-three to ninety-five with his slider, he can survive in the big leagues. He just has to become a different kind of pitcher. Yeah, and that's my main concern with him is that like he doesn't know how to become that other kind of pitcher. That you know he's this power, pure stuff guy, pure power guy, and if if he doesn't change, I don't think he'll succeed. I think. Yeah, I, I don't know that Tanner Rainey, like, obviously you're right. Tanner Rainey, nothing in his, he his command was a lot better last year uh, mm-hmm. than it had been in 2019 when it looked like he was going to have to be a sort of close your eyes and throw the ball as hard as you can type. I don't know that he can't become a better pitcher with diminished velocity. Uh, not a better pitcher with diminished velocity, but I mean a better pitcher who can succeed with diminished velocity. Uh, we'll find out. Obviously, the alternative and the hope is that his velocity comes back. But uh, the Nats have a lot of guys in the bullpen uh, who can pick up the slack if Rainey's not great. So I would prefer, while he figures out how to pitch right now, that they not give him such high leverage spots. No, I think like today looked, was a good spot for him to come in. Um, you know, still five run game. Uh, he did walk a guy in the tying run was Paul Goldschmidt on deck, which was a little nerve wracking. But I think that's the right amount of leverage you want to give Rainey right now. Is you know a spot where it would take a total meltdown of his in order to blow the game. Yeah, and you have plenty of time to get. Another guy up before that meltdown happens. I have no problem with how with using him in that spot today. No, I think it was the right it was the right spot for him. But uh, I mean, the bullpens look good. Besides that, though, I mean, Avilon. I think Clay's going to pass Avilon now for that lefty spot when uh, when everyone comes back. And so yeah, you know, well, I I think you know everyone else is looking good though. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I can't complain about the bullpen. I said this nope. earlier, but. The uh, defense, which was sort of circled as one of those big problems the Nats could have, has been good so far. Only one error. Uh, only one error. It was a relatively consequential one yesterday, but it was a weird one that wasn't really yeah. indicative of anything. No. Uh, they've made most of all the plays. Actually, the only problem that I've had with any of the defenders has been Robles, who's had a couple problems with balls in the sun so far. But... Uh, I mean, look, they're three and six. It's not good. You never want to be three and six. You never want to go three and six in nine games. Uh, at the same time, they've had a very tough schedule. Uh, it's also true that they're going to keep having a tough schedule. 
Yeah. And they didn't have the back of their lineup for our six of those games. Mm-hmm. So tougher teams. So, I mean, as we said on the last podcast, I wasn't too concerned about the team until this series. And this series was a good series. I mean, they took two or three. I mean, it's a good team. So, I mean, that's all you can ask for from this team. Is thing you know? I, I think I'm not. You know, someone today on Twitter was talking about how uh, the Nats were in last place, and it's not yet the time to talk about them being in last place, but it should be soon to be the time to talk about them being in last place. And, yeah, if they're in last place by next week, you know, then, yeah, that's something of concern. But I think, you know, right now it's not even worth it because they didn't have their team, and they were playing two of the best teams in the National League without their team. So, right. Yeah, I mean, and, and they the offense looked good this you know this series. So yep, who can say? Meanwhile, they've got four upcoming against the Arizona Diamondbacks, which is this is probably the weakest team they're going to play for a long time because they've got a really tough schedule out there. This is. Uh, this is a matchup that you want. I mean, so they've got this. Obviously, we'll do a podcast after this series and in between this series and the Cardinals series. They've got the seven-game homestand. I would think that a good target for the homestand is five and two. You want to I win both that. those series. I think you really got to try to take three from the from these D-backs. I mean, you have favorable matchups. Tomorrow's game, you got Kelly versus Corbin. And hopefully Corbin, you know, now he got a time to get a bullpen in and actually before the game he'll be better. You know, it, it's it was it's hard to really judge Corbin off of his first start. So, you know, advantage right. Nats there. Then you got Taylor Widener versus Max Scherzer. Advantage Nats, obviously. Um, then you got Fetty versus Weaver. And I really, I'm a big Luke Weaver fan, so, I, you know, I think obviously advantage D-backs. And then you got Bumgarner versus Strasburg. And for as bad Strasburg looked his last start, Bumgarner was like even worse in both of his first two starts. That is very true. Yeah. So, yeah, you want to win three of those games. Obviously, you see the matchups and you think Thursday, Friday, Sunday uh, would be the games you would win. It doesn't really work like that. Uh, sometimes weird stuff happens. But I would say three out of four would be a good goal for the Nats. And if they can go five and two on this homestand... That'll put them right back at 500, which will be an impressive feat given the adversity they dealt with the first week of the season. Yep. Um, I, I wanted to say something jumping off of our last podcast just about Juan Soto. You, you were talking about, yes, because Juan Soto w- uh, was amazing this series as he is all the time forever. Yes. Uh, so you were talking about how Soto seems to understand the game aspect of the game better mm-hmm. than anyone else. And I thought that was a good way of putting it. And what I wanted to say, but couldn't remember the word for, is intentionality. I think something that Soto does that's just amazing to me is he's so intentional about everything he does in the batter's box. Like everything yeah. he does, every movement he makes, every pitch he takes... He has a purpose. He'll be watching it. you. Every move she makes. Wait, yes. that's not the words. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's just amazing to me how how much he grasps grasps the game of baseball, 
and how, like, how it's not even how smart he is; it's how attentive he is to the smallest detail, and and just the fact that he goes into every at bat with. It's not just that he goes into every at bat with a plan; it's that he makes adjustments. Like today, there was, you know, he was he was facing. Uh, Adam Wainwright, a guy who has historically not seen very well. Uh, first at bat, he got tied up and struck out. Second at bat, he hit a little, you know, million hopper infield single to third in the shift. But then the third at bat, you know, he takes him to a 3-2 count. He's fighting off pitches. He's, he doesn't look comfortable, but he looks gradually more comfortable as the at-bat goes on. It was interesting. He didn't do the Soto shuffle in the first two at-bats. And then the third at-bat, he started doing it again. And then he gets a 3-2 curveball that was a very good pitch that he, he just muscles it to center field. Like it was a 74-mile-an-hour curveball. He doesn't pull off it. He stays on it, keeps his hands back, and drives it into center field. And it was just... It was such an impressive, like, and and completely as an aside, that's why I like starting pitchers uh, and why I think there's so much fun in the game because to watch a hitter make an adjustment against the starting pitcher, you know, facing him a third time through is just a, you know, it's a treat and it's one of those cool things about baseball. And watching Soto do it is just, it's amazing. So I, I've been talking about, like, at work, I talk to the guys at work about Soto, and they think I'm just obsessed with him. And obviously I am obsessed with him. But I think it's really fascinating. From a guy who, well, I mean, we watch Soto every day. And I think it's very hard to articulate to people who don't watch him every day really just how good he is. I mean, I've watched a lot of great players play. We watch Bryce Harper play every day. I mean, I've watched, you know, we've seen, like, you know, I've we watch a lot of baseball, obviously. But I just don't think I've ever seen anyone who does those things that we were talking about like Soto and it's very hard to articulate this fact to people who don't watch Soto play every day just the little gritty detailed things that make Soto I think just miles ahead in terms of IQ than really anyone out there yeah uh, I mean it, it's just it's a feel thing it's a and it, it's a showmanship thing too I mean mm-hmm. he's just he's such a fun like I don't think you can get like you were saying the full Soto experience unless you watch him every day uh, now that's probably true of someone like Mike Trout who critics have said I don't appreciate as much as I should mm-hmm. but, but, but like, with the guys like Acuna who, who, let, who make like those incredibly flashy plays like you know spring, his sprint speed to first base and like he hits towering home runs. I mean, Acuna is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's not. Soto also hits some towering home runs. Yeah, but I think I mean, with Acuna, you see his greatness because it's more, it's just everywhere. It's kind of you know what you see with you 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 see Acuna, and you see Tatis too. His greatness as well. But I think with, with when so when it comes to Soto's greatness and why he kind of, to me, it feels like he gets third fiddle sometimes when you're talking about those three guys, is because he doesn't have the foot speed, he doesn't have the defense. He doesn't have those, like, you know, he's not going to make necessarily every, like, you know, you're not going to hang a star by his name in the, in the field. So he's not going to make those type of plays. But just in terms of how he dominates the batter's box and how to, he just owns the plate and how he owns everything that's coming at him is just what separates him, me, to me, what separates him from all the young guys and even most of the league, even. 
to adjust that a little bit, uh, I would say that the difference between Soto and, two, and those two guys is that with Soto, the process is as fun to watch as the results. Exactly. That's that's probably what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. Right. It's not that though. It's not that he doesn't do super exciting things on the field that that play well in highlights. He does. And it's I mean, not that those does. guys. And it's not that those guys don't do exciting process-based things. It's not that they don't set up hit, hit pitchers. It's not that you know, like. I don't want to impugn those two guys. It's just that Soto, you can watch his process work, and it's an incredibly fun thing to watch. But I'd say, I'd say with those guys even more. I mean, I, I would honestly say that they probably have a little bit more talent than Soto does in terms of pure talent, because they, De- I mean, they're depends more on. Players. There was, there was a big debate yesterday on the baseball Twitter website uh, about what constitutes talent. Mm-hmm. And I mean, type I think natural th- talent. I mean, like pure natural talent. No one can do what Juan Soto does, John. And that yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of it's mental. It, mental is a talent. Like no one can have the pitch recognition that, that Juan Soto has is, you know, is superhuman. It's a talent, and it's absolute. Like the things that we group into talent, and the things that we group into sort of mental or learned skills like you know not not suggesting you're doing this because you're obviously not but there's obviously issues with coding there and sort of well, like I mean, I'm talking about racial coding and you're talking about three Dominican players so I'm not well, accusing you of doing that anyway but like the things Juan Soto does like they're just as much talent as like no he doesn't have the foot speed but Acuna doesn't have the eye and no, he doesn't have the defense of Tatis, but uh, I mean, hell, you could say that health is a uh, is a talent, it's a skill. I mean, that's it's luck. one of those. It's not just luck. I mean, it's it's a combination of luck of uh, of. And knock on wood, I mean, Soto in this my early career didn't even play much because of injury. Well, no, because of one weird freak injury, but it wasn't like a like. He broke his leg sliding back into first base. It wasn't like a, a Tatis thing where uh, you know he has back issues and shoulder issues. Like it's a combination of genetics and preparation and all and frankly all of this stuff is. Like running really fast is a combination of genetics and preparation and you know, all these other things. Like I I tend to think that, you know, calling Juan Soto, like, saying he's a less talented player than those two guys is is not an appreciation for all the things that constitute Soto's talent. Uh, I think I it's mean, more impressive if you say it's not talent. If you say it's skill. I think it, it, it's, to me, it's more impressive. To me, that you have to learn the skill and take the time out to learn the baseball IQ. I mean, you're not born... Give, you're not given the, the natural birth of, of knowing where the strike zone is and, and knowledge of the baseball IQ that it takes to get the gamesmanship. I mean, well, you're not you're not born with the natural talent to pick a ball deep in the hole and throw it really hard to first base. That's mechanics. That's you know hours and hours of practice. Like, I don't I don't know what you know. I know the point you're trying to make, and I'm trying to unpack it a little bit because. I think Juan Soto is 
as talented as any player in baseball. It's just that his talents, it's, it's like Javi Baez is really, really good at getting a tag down. It's a thing that you wouldn't really consider as talent for other players, but, but like Soto, one of his talents is a natural feel, not even an, like, it's just a, a feel for the ebbs and flows of the game. And like, these are all these little things that go into making a baseball player. And I think that the thing, getting back to the initial discussion that we were having, the thing that Soto does well, you know, he does everything well, but the thi- a lot of the things that he does uniquely well are things that don't show up on a highlight reel or a stat sheet. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what makes him such a pleasure to watch. And that's what the original point I was trying to relay. I think it's an interesting discussion about how we call things skill versus learned traits or whatever. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, jumping off on that, you know, a guy like Mike Trout, who is able to make adjustments the way he is and able to learn a new skill in baseball every year, like that, it's not because he necessarily works harder than anyone else. It's that he's a combination of hard work and sort of a natural aptitude for making that adjustment. Uh, anyway, long discussion short. Juan Soto is awesome. You he have is. to watch him to appreciate the awesomeness, and I love him very much. He is our beautiful son. All right. So with that, I think we can wrap this thing up. Yes, we can. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back on Sunday afternoon with a brand new episode talking about the Diamondback series. Hopefully it goes well for you.